have a Bible this morning, I want you to join me in the Gospel of Luke and the 8th chapter. Luke chapter 8, we're studying through the Gospel of Luke, and this will be our first uh, Sunday morning in the 8th uh, chapter. Of course, this week upcoming, we all look forward to Thanksgiving, and, um, and uh, I was uh, praying over the message last night a little bit and just had the, had the simple thought of, can you imagine someone putting all that food now i know it's always dangerous to talk use a food illustration but just bear with me put all that food down before you and then an hour prior to all the turkey and dressing and stuffing and whatever it is that is your absolute favorite you just filled up your stomach with snack food and chips and junk food and so on and so forth the bible says man does not live by bread alone but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the lord And when we come together to study God's word, it's possible, it's possible to have no appetite for the things of God, for Holy Scripture, for this simple reason that you've snacked all week in the world. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Adrian Rogers put it this way, if you snack on the devil's goodies all week, you'll have no appetite for the word of God come Sunday. It's just just true. And so my encouragement to you is all week long, avoid the snacks, get the substance, the word of God. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, will be where my sermon's from, and I'll be honest with you, the first several times I read through it, I thought to myself, there's not a sermon here, we'll just go straight on to the parable of the sower, but the more I read it, and the more I thought of it, through it, and did what I encourage you to do, read through it, think it out, pray it in, write it down, uh, I believe that God showed us, showed me something that I would very joyfully want to share with you this morning. So let's read Luke 8, 1, 2, and 3. Soon afterward, he went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Let's pray together and then study these verses together. Father, I thank you that the word of God is alive and it's active, and I pray by your grace you would give us a deep hunger and appetite for the word of God. I pray that you would guard us from filling up our appetite, so to speak, on trivial, shallow, worldly things, and instead see that you have prepared a better feast. You have made a better table for people who would come and sit at the Lord's table than whatever the world may offer. I thank you that your word is substance, that your word is life, and I pray that as we study it, that we would um, be filled with good things today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I uh, studied over the scripture, this verse, uh, what came to me is it's a series of of, of pairs, P-A-I-R-S, a series of two things that go together that that I think as as you examine them, give what I'm calling the scope of gospel ministry. I have terrible balance. The last time I was on a pair of roller skates, I almost broke my neck. I went skiing, snow skiing one time. Now, some of you, I've talked to you, you love to snow ski, and you love to zip on down the mountains. I went skiing one time, and when I got down to the bottom of the mountain, I took the skis off, and I said, I'm never doing that again. I just don't have good balance. Can't water ski. I don't even like the seesaw. You know, I just, terrible, terrible balance. Abel loves to climb trees, and he wants me to climb with him, and I just say, I'll stand right down here, and I'll cheer you on. I just don't, I just don't do good with balance, but the scripture gives us several things 
that we need to have in balance. And if you get too far out of balance, you distort the gospel, you, uh, you're not living out the faith. And this passage, I think, gives us several things to, to give in balance. A few things that we know just in life, not necessarily from the scripture, but we need balance in is eating and exercise, right? Here's a balance I'm constantly trying to find in my life. Eating and exercise. But, but, the, but the Bible gives us a few things that we always want to keep in balance. How about this one? Faith and works. Faith and works, they go together. So, so when we're saying about balance, we're not saying things that are opposed to each other. You know, you've got to add a little bit here and then a little bit, a bit more. Things that give balance to life. Faith and works. What's the Bible say? Without works, faith is what? Dead. It's not really even faith. And so we're going to talk about things that, that if you don't have them in balance, even the one that you're emphasizing, you've distorted to where it's not really what it's supposed to be anymore. Love and truth need to be balanced. Speak the truth in love is what the scripture says. Law and grace need to be balanced. If you don't understand law, you really don't understand grace. They need to be put in balance. And one place that I think God has given us where all these balances come together is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you want to even think about the cross that way, you can think of it that way. It's things where everything's perfectly balanced. Law and grace, love and truth, faith and works. So, so here in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, when we're talking about gospel ministry, and that means something to us as a church. In your life, as an individual believer who follows Jesus, here are some things that you want to balance in the scope of ministry. And then we want to examine as a church family, are we doing what Jesus does here in the scripture? So the first thing I want you to see is, number one, Jesus brings the gospel with words and with actions. And you want to talk about something that we have to have in balance. Here's one of them. We have to bring the gospel with words and with actions. Now, our translations might be a little bit different, but Luke chapter 8, verse 1, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And some of your translations, because I read every translation I could get, it might just say proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. But I want you to know in the Greek, there's two words there, proclaiming and bringing. And the emphasis of the two words is, one, he's speaking and he's also doing. He's proclaiming the gospel with words and with actions. Jesus' ministry involved words and actions. Jesus did not come to the earth just to preach the Sermon on the Mount and then go back to heaven. Neither did Jesus come to the earth just to help some people out without teaching them. The scope of gospel ministry is that it's action and it's speaking. Now, if we just talk about the balance between words and actions, let's just ask it this way. How could we get this wrong? And of course, there's two ways primarily to get it wrong. First of all would be if we taught and taught and taught God's word. Now, I like to teach God's word, by the way. I like to study God's word, like to, like to preach, like to teach, like to lesson plan, and so on and so forth. But wouldn't it be tragic if we taught that God's word says we should pray, but then we never actually prayed if we taught that god's word says we should be humble but we're not actually humble a first mistake would be if we taught god's word and when we're familiar with the teachings of the bible but never went out and really served others never actually went out and helped others so that's the first mistake we could make so let's be guarded against the scope of gospel ministry to be familiar with the word of god but not live out the word of god 
Secondly, we would be equally mistaken if we sought to go out and help and serve others but never actually taught them about Jesus. This is what distinguishes the church of the Lord Jesus Christ from, for say, the United Way. There should be a clear distinction. Do we help others? Do we serve others? Do we do, we, uh, do service projects and all sorts of things like that? Well, of course we do. But that's not all that we do. Now, think about your life. Do you make it a point to do both? Do you share the gospel verbally? And I know sometimes when we talk about that, people start to get a little uptight and uncomfortable and say, I'm not good at, good at that. Think about it in these terms. You always talk about the things and the people that you love. You always do that. Right? This morning, some ECU fans showed up and you talked about yesterday's game. Some state fans showed up and you didn't say anything about yesterday's game. <laughs> some Carolina fans showed up and talked a little bit about the, uh, oh, I don't even remember who they played yet, Old Dominion or, or, or whatnot. And then I know a young man who, here at the church family, he went to Old Dominion and, you know, he, he's not going to talk about it. You talk about the things that you love. Can you imagine someone who loves to hunt or loves to fish, never talking about hunting or fishing? And say, no, 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 my hunting and my fishing trips, they're personal. And I'm just going to keep all that information to myself. No, 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 no. no if you, you find a man who loves fishing, you go into his house, and I can guarantee you what you'll find on his mantle, the biggest fish he ever caught. You know, we love to share and to talk about. I love my wife and my children. And some people sometimes have to say, why don't you stop talking about them so much? I just love them. I'd I'd love to share with you some, well, we're not going to do that at this point. Don't you see that it's it's, um, (laughs) incoherent to say, I love Jesus. I'm not going to talk about Jesus. If you love Jesus, it shouldn't be hard to talk about him. And then secondly, do you really take time to serve people, to really put other people first? So first of all, let's get the balance. The first thing we see here in the scripture is Jesus brings the gospel with words and with actions. And those things go together. Sometimes people will not hear, want to hear what you have to say until you've demonstrated to them that you love them, that you put them first, that you're going to sacrifice for them, that you're going to do things to, 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 to help them. And then once you do those things and you've built that bridge, then don't leave off the second part in sharing and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. So the first thing that we see in the scope of gospel ministry is it involves words and actions. The second thing that we see here is that Jesus takes the gospel to cities and villages. Now, there are two types of people here this morning. You either grew up in the country or you grew up in the city, right? And there's a little bit of a difference between city folk and country folk, right? Some of you can can just, because of the way that you were brought up and where you were brought up, you identify a little bit more readily with one of those groups than the other. Country folks know how to milk a cow, right? City folks know how to go to the grocery store and buy a gallon of milk. Country folks are accustomed to a certain pace of of life that's very different from city folks. Now, some people, if they find themselves out in the middle of nowhere with just a few essential items and nobody in sight, they call that the worst-case scenario. Other people call that camping, right? City folks and country folks. Some people are absolutely a nervous wreck driving on the highways of Washington, D.C. or Atlanta or I-95 in the Northeast. 
others eat it up. And it's their own little competition. And they picked out another car that's traveling the same place. And they're going to see if they can get to the other end of the, of the highway or across D.C. before them. Some of you grew up in places where everybody knows everybody. Everybody speaks to everybody. And you never locked your door at night. Others of you grew up in a place where no one spoke to anyone and you locked your door, bolted it, and set the alarm. We all remember the children's story about the country mouse and the city mouse, right? I read it to one of the children's stories the other day. We can relate to the story. Now look at Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, where did Jesus go? Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages. Maybe your translation says towns and villages. Let me give you another translation. Jesus took the gospel to city folks and country folks. One of the things that Luke is getting at is that Jesus made it a point to go to both kinds of places. He went to places where the population was more concentrated in these cities and towns, and he went to more sparsely populated places. So much about city life and country life are different, but one thing that they both have in common is that Both places desperately need Jesus. And again, if we're not careful, we begin to think that Jesus is just for one or the other. That Jesus is just really for the laid-back country folk, but not the city folk. Or that Jesus is, we just need to take the gospel to all the cities, and then in time it'll go to the country. Application, where could we go wrong? Well, if we exclude one place in favor of another. We're going to see a consistent theme here with the scriptures, that Jesus is for everybody, no matter their geographical location. So, first of all, we see that Jesus brings the gospel in word and action. Secondly, that Jesus takes the gospel to the cities and the towns. Where should we, where should we take the gospel? We should take it to cities. We should take the gospel to Washington, D.C., and Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia, and New York City, and Brooklyn, and Miami, and Atlanta. And we should also go to uh, the country, where maybe there's not so many people around i'm blessed as i look back in our mission trips that i've taken at calvary to go to a city of 27 million people in mumbai and I'd also go to a place in pennsylvania where i don't know that there were a thousand people in a 10 mile radius and i think that's what we're to do to take the gospel to the cities and to villages thirdly we see here that jesus brings the gospel to men and to women Look with, it, look with me in verse two, verse 1, at the end of it. And the twelve, that's the twelve disciples, were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Now, city folks and country folks are different. Let's also agree on this. There's some significant differences between men and women. Now, we're not going to dive off on the deep end on this. Generally speaking, men and women are different. And God made it that way, by the way. Real clear from scripture, male and female, he created them. So I always like to just liberate, especially some of the guys here, and you always told, get in touch with your feminine side. You don't have a feminine side. You are made male, all right? Now, that doesn't mean that you can't show emotion and you can't, you know, cry at the end of a movie. Some movies it does, but no, I'm just teasing. So so, uh, it's like Albert Einstein said, men marry women with the hope that they will never change Women marry men with the hope that they will change. Invariably, they're both disappointed. You're supposed to laugh a little bit more than that. Y'all just got mad at me. All right. Well, the way men and women, generally speaking now, no tomatoes, no whatever, view the world, they are completely different. Now, where could we go wrong? And this can happen, by the way, is if we have a church, if we have a ministry, if we have a gospel focus 
that's either only for women or only for men. Now, there are a lot of ways we could go down this road, but let me just for the sake of time make a brief point. Far too often, men conclude that spiritual things, Bible study, singing worship songs, uh, church life, that's for the women and the children and not for the men. Too many men believe church life is not for them. And one of the reasons for this is if they feel like, now it doesn't mean they're right, but if they believe that the church has become too unmasculine. But all throughout the scripture, men are drawn to the Lord. Not wimpy men, <laughs> or, or what, uh, Abraham and Moses. Here in just the Gospel of Luke, we've seen men like the centurion and Nicodemus drawn to Jesus. Jesus is not just for men. He's not just for women. Jesus is a Savior for both. Number four. So we've seen Jesus brings the gospel in word and action. Jesus brings the gospel to cities and towns and villages. Jesus brings the gospel to men and to women. Both men and women saw something in Jesus that they wanted to follow, that they wanted to submit to, that they believed in. And then fourth, Jesus brings the gospel to meet physical and spiritual needs. Look what it says in verse number two. And also some women who had been healed, two things he lists, of evil spirits and infirmities. Of evil spirits and infirmities. One speaks of a spiritual need and one speaks of a physical need. Now, uh, it's often been said that some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. I personally don't really like that statement because I think it mislabels being heavenly minded. In fact, in one way, the only way to be any earthly good is to be heavenly minded. But the point of it is that if you just, again, trying to meet spiritual, spiritual, spiritual need and discard physical needs, that you can do a disservice to the gospel and you cannot be following in the steps of Jesus because it says here he did heal them of evil spirits and also of some serious physical infirmities. The point taken is that it's possible to be disconnected from the real world needs of others. You know what some people need? Some people do need something to eat. You know what some people need? Some people do need a roof over their head, a coat on their back. There are legitimate, real, physical needs. And not just around the world. And yes, we're going to be a church that wants to go around the world with the gospel. But there are people in this neighborhood with significant physical needs. And so we don't want to get out of balance. Now, it's, it's possible, right? It's possible to, do, to, to get out of balance one of either of these ways, to be so focused on meeting spiritual needs that we discard physical needs, or it's also possible to go too far the other way and we go physical needs and discard spiritual needs. That's why we keep using the word balance, right? So as a church and then in your own life, do you make it an effort? to help the needs physical and spiritual of others. Jesus met these women and he healed some of evil spirits. You want to know something? There are evil spirits in the world. It's not a fairy tale. Our, 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 our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the principalities, against the evil forces of wickedness in the spiritual places. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. But physical solutions are not sufficient for spiritual questions. And this is one of the most significant lessons that our culture today refuses to believe or refuses to acknowledge or refuses to listen to. Our culture has significant spiritual problems and we're desperately trying to remedy those significant spiritual problems with physical 
or political or economic solutions, and it will never happen. Number five, Jesus brings the gospel to the influential and the forgotten. Continue with me in verse number two. Among those with these evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. Now, just briefly, one of these ladies is politically connected, influential, well-known, and has, uh, has her husband, who's Herod, the, the, one of the highest-ranking political officers in the land. He works for him. He's like his chief of staff, and she's following Jesus. Now, I find that interesting. We've just come off of John the Baptist, who's imprisoned by Herod in his house, and, and all that's going on there. And then here's the wife. And I don't know if it was John the Baptist's witness in her life or what exactly happened, but she has forsaken all that political influence to follow Jesus. And then on the other hand, we've gotten this Lady Mary Magdalene who's not that way. She's not influential. She's not well-known. She's not politically connected. Now, often in the world, as the saying goes, it all matters who you know. And in Jesus' gospel ministry, that's not it at all. In fact, listen to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, you can turn there if you want to, or you can just listen to it. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you would pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the other poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the... Those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. Jesus, when he brings the gospel, he brings it to the influential, yes, and also to the forgotten. Jesus brings the gospel to the rich young ruler and to the Samaritan woman. Jesus brings the gospel to Nicodemus, the most intelligent, well-educated man in the whole country, and he also takes it to the woman at the well. As a church, we are called to do the very same. Now, make a transition briefly. Jesus and all these pairing and all these balances, I do also think there is, a, um, is an important lesson that I saw is that each of these groups, country versus city, men versus women, influential versus forgotten, each of these groups have a false gospel in which they can easily believe. And in believing that false gospel, what often happens is the other side of the pair becomes their chief nemesis. So what in the world are you talking about? (laughs) Well, with Jesus out of the equation, all the country folks start pointing the finger at the city folks and saying all the problems are with them. Or then the city folks point to the country folks and say, oh, you old traditionalists with your old values, if you just get with the times. Now, there's no, there's, no, uh, there's no coincidence why you take, you take your um, geographical map after an election and they'll break it down color-coded. And one color will be the cities and one color will be the countries. The, out, out, out in the, uh, uh, away out of the city limits, right? I mean, that's what begins to happen is they begin to be opposed to one another. Or the genders will begin to be opposed to one another. There are movements on every college campus in the country that will whisper to some women, it's all the men's fault, and to some of the men, it's all the women's fault. And they become opposed to one another. 
So it's not just progressive cities against so-called backward country folks or the more conservative country shouting back at the city slickers. Men and women are set up against each other. Others would say we just need to meet people's physical needs. And if we would just focus on that, the gospel will go forth in power. While others argue that the focus needs to be on spiritual needs. And who do we share the gospel with? The most connected and influential or the forgotten? Luke shows us that Jesus himself did not make these distinctions. These distinctions are made by the hearts of sinful people. He took the gospel in word and action to all people, regardless of geographical location, political persuasion, gender specification, or social classification. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? Put it a little more simply. There was no one Jesus would not speak to, minister to, serve, and love. And when Jesus is crucified on the cross, he's crucified on the cross for the country folks and the city folks, for the men and for the women, to, to uh, proclaim the gospel, the good news for everybody. And it's not far off from here that we'll get Luke's statement that Jesus sets his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to ask uh, put a little picture on the screen, and you'll recognize it particularly from this week, as there's been a lot in the news of the 50th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy on November the 22nd, 1963. Some of you know exactly where you were, right, when this happened. Others of you were not alive, but you understand that it had uh, major ramifications for the course of history in our nation. And John F. Kennedy and his wife are there getting down at Love Field from Air Force One in Dallas, Texas. Uh, a little bit before noon on November the 22nd, 1963. And if you know what happens, you, you, you look at that picture and you, and you can't help but have a sense of, of dread. As you look at the picture and, and uh, Jacqueline Kennedy with her pink dress and hat on and, and then the President of the United States as he's walking down the steps and, and, and you know what's going to happen. He's going to get in that car and they're going to go down the, uh, down the road and then he's going to take that left turn on Elm Street at Dealey Plaza and you know what happens. And, and the reason that you look at the picture with so much dread is you know what happens, but when you look at that picture, you also know that he does not know what's about to happen. He has absolutely no idea. You can take the picture off the screen. When Jesus goes to Jerusalem, I want you to know that he goes fully aware of what is about to happen. It's not going to catch him by surprise. There's no conspiracy that's awaiting him. There is, in a way, but he's in control of the whole thing. Jesus, when he goes to Jerusalem and he's crucified, he goes there as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Soon afterward, I'll just read this, read this with you. Soon afterward, verse 1, I'm just going to add something, not add something to the scripture, but just for way of emphasis. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, fully aware that it was only a matter of time until he went to Jerusalem and they crucified him. So as Jesus goes everywhere he goes, shares with everyone he shares with, he's fully aware that there's this clock that's ticking, and it's taking him to Passover right around the corner in Jerusalem, knows, fully, knows completely what's going to happen. And when they crucify Jesus, he's getting everything in balance. Here's a couple things that he's balancing. 
the wrath of God with the love of God. The wrath of God, the just holy wrath of God. We don't talk about the wrath of God very much in 2013 in in America. We like to just pretend it's not going to happen. Now, the wrath of God is poured out against sin. And simply, simplest way I know how to how to state it, that wrath is either coming on you or by faith, it's come on Christ. One of those things is going to happen. There's no third option. There's no alternative. Either you'll face the wrath of God because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? We've all made mistakes, we've all blown it, we've all uh, done things that we shouldn't have done and not done other things that we should have done. We're all guilty before God. So there's the wrath of God, the just wrath of God, and then there's the mercy of God, and they come into balance at the cross, which is Jesus uh, um, fulfilling on the cross, demonstrating God's wrath or demonstrating his love, both perfectly, perfectly balanced. And when he's crucified, who is he crucified for? It's not just the men. It's not just the women. It's not just the city folks. And it's not just the country folks. It's for all people who would have faith in him. Jesus goes to Jerusalem fully knowing what's going to happen. And then he's crucified. And then turn with me briefly to Luke 24. Luke 24 is, is uh, I believe it's the last chapter of Luke. Yes, yeah, the last chapter of Luke. I've shared this scripture with you on, on a different occasions. I think even this past Easter or the one before. And <laughs> just look what it says. We'll just read it together. Luke 24, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, quick question, who is the they? Who's the they that's keep referring to you? Well, to get that, you got to go all the way to verse 10. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother. In other words, the same women back from Luke chapter 8. You see that? Same ladies, same group of women. They've been following Jesus and they've kept following Jesus. And even after the resurrection, they're still following. But notice what they've gone to do. I mean, can you imagine anything worse to take to a resurrection than burial spices? Have you ever been somewhere and you realized you, you, you didn't have the right thing, right? You, maybe they took the burial spices and started. Mary was like, no, Joanna, you take them. And Joanna's trying to, no, we're not supposed to have these burial spices. You know you can spend your whole life taking burial spices to a resurrection. If you're not careful, that's how you'll live your life. Taking burial spices is hard work. Taking burial spices have required them to, to put a lot of effort and a lot of faithfulness in it. And, and by the way, they're the only ones who do show up. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they're the only ones who come. At early dawn signaled the end of the Sabbath, so this was also the earliest they could have come. Sun, at early dawn, the sun begins to rise, Sabbath is over, so now they're going to go to the body of the Lord Jesus. And, and they're, they're seeking to do a good thing, but ultimately it's a misplaced thing. That's why we're talking about balance, because if you begin to add it up, uh, all these things, and get out of balance, ultimately what you will spend your life doing is taking burial spices to a resurrection. You serve, love, live, obey, and follow a resurrected Savior. So your life, your words, your actions need to be geared toward a resurrected Savior, not good hard work that's meant for someone still in the tomb. He's not in the tomb. 
So just take a careful inventory of your life, how you, your diligence, you can be diligent, you can be faithful, you can do things that most other people don't even do, you can show up when most other people don't even show up, but ultimately, you've spent your whole life bringing burial spices to a resurrection. And, and they go to find the body of the Lord Jesus, and he's not there. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's living just as he said. Remember how he told you when he was still with you. This goes back to Luke 8. When he was still with you, that the Son of Man has to be handed over to the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, raise again. Do you see that their work, while it was hard, it was misplaced because they weren't remembering what he had said? That's why you got to study the Word of God. And you find out what God says in this Word to do, and then you go do it. You don't bring what you would like to do, your agenda, and say, here's what I'm going to do. Their agenda was to bring burial spices to a resurrection, and they'd worked hard, but ultimately they'd wasted all their time. But God is so loving and gracious, right? Even, in, even, even with their great mistake, right? Burial spices as a resurre- resurrection. Look what happens to them. They're transformed. They remembered his words in returning to the tomb, returning from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven, same disciples minus Judas who were back there in Luke 8, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told them these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Those are our church, <laughs> church founders. Initially, they don't even believe it happened. Even though Jesus had told them over and over and over, here's what's going to happen. These women at least go to the tomb. The apostles, these guys, like too many guys, just sitting around. All right, that, that, that old, uh, anyway. <laughs> but Peter rose and ran. Peter had a vested interest in whether or not this was really true. Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Jesus proclaims the word of God in word and action. He didn't just say, I'm going to the cross or I'm going to the cross or you should love your neighbor as yourself. He says that and then he does it. He goes to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, he's in Jerusalem, but interestingly enough, he's kind of right outside of Jerusalem. It's sort of like right here in the city and also kind of headed to the, headed to the country. They took him out of the city gate, and he's kind of right there. It's almost as if he's saying, this is for city folks and for country folks. And they're at the, tomb, at, at the crucifixion. There's John the Apostle, and there's Mary. And there's the centurion, and then there's the weeping woman. There's men, and there's, and, and there's women. And then when he's laid in the tomb, none of them, none of them, not the men, not the women, we, we, we always talk which one's smarter. Well, on this one, they both get it wrong. One collection, one group, the women, they take the burial spices. The other, the men, they just sit back uh, uh, afraid and unbelieving. So the whole point of all of this is don't carry a banner of one of these things. City folks, country folks, men, women, physical need, spiritual need. Just carry one banner. That's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus Jesus. Jesus for the city slickers. Jesus for the country folk. Jesus for the men. Jesus for the women. Jesus to meet physical needs. Jesus to, to heal spiritual death. None of them believed the resurrection, but he came up out of the tomb. And then if you flip over to the book of Acts, you begin to see, guess who? City folks and country folks proclaiming the gospel to city folks and country folks, men and women living out the faith. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray together, and I just want you to take some time, this time opportunity for the invitation to see the whole scope of gospel ministry and to use this opportunity as a church family to do two things. One, to pray for our church that we have the full scope of gospel ministry, and then number two, for you allow the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God to speak to you. Is this what your life is about?
Or are we going to toil away taking burial spices to a resurrection? Let's pray together. Father, in just a moment, we will have our invitation. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit of the living God is at work among us. Using the word of God. That Jesus went to the towns and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Thank you that it's good news. It's good news. And it's news for everybody everywhere. No matter their background, no matter their culture, no matter their language, no matter their gender, no matter their geographical location, the good news of the kingdom of God is for them. And the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus has come not just simply to teach, he's come to give his life a ransom for many, that he has come doing the seeking and the saving. So Father, would you find us not like the women who went to the tomb, not remembering the good news of the kingdom of God, there to do a good thing, a noble thing, a thing that required perseverance and hard work and was more than most people were doing, but ultimately it was completely misplaced. A burial spices for a risen Savior? Father, I pray that you'd give us great unction of the Holy Spirit to know that we do not serve, we do not live for, we will not lay our lives down for a Savior that's in the tomb, but the stones rolled away from the tomb and the body of the Lord Jesus, it is not there. He is risen just as he said. And Father, help us not to be like those apostles who thought the whole thing was an idle tale and they did not believe the words. Would you, by the word of God, heal our blind eyes and our deaf ears to understand that he really is alive. And now it's incumbent for us to take the good news of the gospel to the cities, to the villages, to the men, to the women, to meet physical needs, to meet spiritual needs, all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.